Hey everybody, thanks for coming back to Serial Zombie Mom. Today I'm going to talk about uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard and Dee Dee Blanchard. Um, but before I actually get into the full case, um, I wanted to give kind of a little bit of the breakdown on the psychology and kind of everything about Munchausen's syndrome or Munchausen's by proxy um, that kind of goes along with the story and kind of what was going on with um, Dee Dee and, you know, why she did everything she did. So really quickly, Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen's by proxy have actually been renamed. They don't call it those, um, those terms anymore unless they're trying to um, explain to the layman what it, what it is or how they may have heard about it and, and what it is. Um, so Munchausen syndrome is now called factitious disorder imposed on self, which is just kind of a drawn out way to say it. Um, a lot of people are still going to use the term Munchausen's, but as far as for a diagnosis, they, they don't seem to use those specific terms anymore. Now, this factitious disorder imposed on self is where the affected person feigns disease or illness. So they, they fake it, you know, um, they are pretending that they have this awful disease or illness or that they have some kind of a psychological trauma that allows them to draw attention to themselves. They want the sympathy. They want reassurance. They want people to focus on them. And instead of, you know, the typical boo-hoos, they are, oh, this is happening with me and I'm, you know, um, dealing with this ailment and this hurts and that hurts and this is, you know, there's a difference between you know, someone who is really having these issues and they're not going to complain ridiculous amounts. But then these people, everything that comes out of their mouth is some sort of a issue about an Ill illness or ailment. Um, these patients tend, tend to have a history of recurrent hospitalization, traveling a lot, moving a lot. Um, they're very, very dramatic. And extremely improbable tales about their past experiences are shared. So <clears throat> when they want to talk about, you know, something that's happened, it's almost like they share too much detail on it because they're trying so hard to make you believe um, whatever they're, they're saying they have. Um, now, Munchausen's by proxy, Munchausen's syndrome, uh, was actually named after a fictional character. Back in the 1700s, during the Russian, um, Russo-Turkin War, or Russo-Turkish War, however you want to say it, um, there was a soldier, there was a man, um, Carl Friedrich, um, and I can't say the other word, it's Freiherr, Freiherr von Munchausen. Um, I apologize, I, I cannot get some of these words right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that was during the Russo-Turkish War of 1935 and 1939 that this man apparently fought on the Russian side. So, 
when the war was over, when everything was done, he would tell these outlandish stories about his days in the war and his, um, you know, military prowess and everything that he had gone through and, and these just crazy, crazy tales. And so someone decided, you know what, we're gonna, I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna turn this into, everybody wants to hear these, these stories. Everybody thinks it's fun, you know, funny. And these are a bit far-fetched. So, um, apparently he had told stories that were so outrageous that he rode on a cannonball, that he fought off a 40-foot crocodile, and things about traveling to the moon and meeting, like, the king and queen of the moon, and, like, just ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. If you've never read the book, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, read it. If you want to bypass the book, watch the movie. Um, the movie's pretty good. It's actually got Eric Idle from the Monty Python fame. Um, and it's also got like Uma Thurman when she was like 20, like real, real young. Um, pretty, pretty good little movie. And it kind of revolves around that, you know, um, Russian Turkish war and everything that was kind of going on during that time. Um, and they're putting on a play and, you know, Baron Munchausen sh shows up and says, no, you're not getting it right. Let me tell you how it really went. Um, so you go through these different stories and it's definitely, um, entertaining. Definitely entertaining. I actually sat down a few, um, weeks back and let the kids watch it and, they thought it was pretty fun. So this diagnosis, this um, syndrome was actually named after him because it was obviously these people were telling all these horrible outlandish, you know, outrageous tales about what they're going through. And it's absolute farce, total farce. So they were like, well, you know, this sounds a lot like him. So this is, let's, let's go to this. Let's call it, let's call it Munchausen's. Now, people with this issue, um, again, seek the attention. They tend to play the victim that something's always out to get them. Something's always going on with them. Things always keep getting worse. That kind of deal. Now, these people are usually very knowledgeable about um, the practice of medicine, have worked in it, um, or have had family members that have, or, or they just tend to do a lot of research. Um, and they were actually able to produce symptoms that result in very lengthy and very costly medical analysis, prolonged hospital stays, um, and unnecessary operations and procedures. So they don't really care what they have to go through <clears throat> as long as they are being treated for these ailments that they say they have, you know, if they complain about it enough, somebody is going to believe them. Somebody is going to try to treat them. So this is a little bit different from what a lot of people understand as um, being a hypochondriac or hypochondriasis. Um, 
or other somatoform disorders where the people actually constantly worry about having these issues or some of these, these illnesses instead of saying, no, I have this, I need the meds, I need this, I need that, I need this. People who are hypochondriacs, it's they hear about an illness and it's like, oh God, well, maybe that's what I have. Maybe that's what I have. I've got an itch in this spot. Maybe it's this. Or, well, you know, you know, I've had this mole for years and, and, um, it just looks different to me. And I think, I think it's something, you know, because this family member went through something or someone they knew, you know, a person they know of a person they know had something or, you know, so they turn it into as, as far as being a hypochondriac, it's more of, um, you know, I don't want to have this but I worry that that's what it is. And they may go to the doctor a lot because they're worried. It's not, I have this, I know I have this, give me the meds. It's, um, you know, they're not going to force symptoms on themselves. They're going to say, I think I've been having this, this issue. I'm not sure that this is what it is, you know, but when then when they get the diagnosis that no 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 you're you're fine <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you all the everything came back fine they don't worry about that anymore then it's what is the next thing that i could have um you know and they go with a range of things you have some people that are like okay i think i have cancer well no i don't have cancer and um now i'm getting headaches a lot i bet i have a, a brain tumor like it's going to go back and forth from different different things with someone who is a Munchausen patient, they actually will purposefully cause these issues in themselves. If the symptoms are that they have vomiting and diarrhea and things like, they're going to cause things. They're going to ingest things that are going to cause their diarrhea and their, their vomiting. Or, um, you know, they're going to take other medications that cause different symptoms. They're going to force these awful things onto themselves. Now, fictitious disorder imposed on another, which is Munchausen's by proxy, is actually where the parent or the caregiver do all of these things to their dependent or to the person they're supposed to care for, <coughs> their child, whomever, to get the benefits, to gain sympathy, to get these, this attention. And a lot of the times with Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy, it's a monetary thing. It's what things can we get for this person having this disability? You know, are we going to get monetary gain? Are we going to get housing assistance? Are we going to get this? Are we going to get that? Are we going get, to get to go on trips? What is it? What can we gain? And they're going to push it and push it and push it until they are getting everything pretty much taken care of. They will mimic different diseases by poisoning themselves, taking, you know, all kinds of different medications. Then they're getting medications prescribed to them that cause other issues and cause other, um, you know, side effects. And then they turn those side effects into other issues and other ailments. So that then brings us over to the story of Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Now... A lot of you have probably heard of her. If you haven't heard of her or if you've only heard a little bit, I'm going to kind of go into the full detail of what everything is. And I'm going to talk about Dee Dee just a little bit first. With Dee Dee being mom and she was the one that was that was doing all this stuff, um, <coughs> I think I'm going to go just a 
tiny bit into her past before Gypsy Rose comes along. Now, Dee Dee was born Claudine Petrie in Chack Bay, Louisiana in 1967. She was one of six children to Claude Anthony Petrie Sr. and Emma Lois Gisclair. Now, it's said that she was very, very spoiled as a child, and when she didn't get her way, she tended to steal, lie, you know, just whatever she could do to get her way. She wanted that attention. She got all that attention. What made it worse, in my opinion, was the fact that she was a bit of a pageant princess. Um, she won pageants. She was constantly competing in pageants. And when you see pictures of her, which I'll try and get them them posted with this episode, um, a, a picture or two of her when she was younger, she was not an ugly woman. Like, she's a beautiful young woman. So she also, at some point, worked as a nurse's aide and became a caregiver for her mother for a while because her mother had gotten sick. Um, and unfortunately, the family became very, very suspicious of her in, in about 1997 that she had actually killed her mother by either denying or poisoning her food. Now, when she was 24... She married 17-year-old Rod Blanchard. They were messing around. She got pregnant. So what was the thing to do in a southern home? You marry her. Now, he was only 17. He was doing what he thought was right because that's how he was raised. So he married her to try and do the right thing. And I'm here to tell you really quick. Now, granted, I didn't do that, but I know others who had. Marrying someone due to pregnancy is the dumbest fucking thing you can do. Now, you may have been raised that way. You know, you may have been, but if you don't really love that person, you really don't care about that person, do not do it for the wrong reasons. It's a very expensive thing to get out of. Um, now, I commend the, the guy for wanting to do the right thing, but... You know, it's not always going to work. Now, there are a few cases where, you know, they've learned to love each other and they've had a great marriage and they've had a great life and they've had, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's just a stupid reason to do it. Now, shortly before this baby was born, they actually separated. Rod actually said, I realized that I got married for the wrong reasons. He realized he didn't love her. He realized he didn't want to do this. He realized he had other things that, you know, he was not going to be able to do with her in his life. However, it didn't mean that he wasn't going to be there for her and for the child. So in July of 1991, Dee Dee welcomed a beautiful, healthy baby girl, Miss Gypsy Rose. Now her name came from the fact that Claudine just always loved the name Gypsy. She always thought it was beautiful. I wonder if it kind of comes from um, one of the Fleetwood Mac song, you know, Gypsy. Um, beautiful song, love that song. Um, and Rose was because Rod was a bit of a GNR fan. You gotta love a little bit of Guns N' Roses from time to time. I'm definitely one who will jam out from time to time. So 
he loved that, so they just paired it together, and she was Gypsy Rose. Now, when they were released from the hospital, obviously she wasn't going to go back with Rod because they were separated. So she goes to live with her dad and her stepmom, and live with family. At three months old, Dee Dee starts claiming that Gypsy is suffering from bouts with sleep apnea. Now, if you don't know what sleep apnea is, it's you stop breathing during the night. You have periods where you just quit breathing. And on a baby, that's very scary. You wonder if that's going to lead to SIDS or, or, or something. So, you know, she immediately is um, constantly going to the hospital, constantly having them monitor her sleep, um, hooking her up to these machines and doing these sleep studies. But... During all these studies that they go through, they don't find any evidence of the condition. But Dee Dee is absolutely convinced that, well, if it's not showing up, then she has to have some chromosomal disorder. Some unspecified chromosome disorder that is causing all these issues and... She's just getting sicker. Something isn't right. She's getting sick. Now, by the age of seven or eight, she had actually made Gypsy start using a walker. Um, she apparently had fallen off of the grandfather's motorbike or motorcycle um, <coughs> and scratched her knee. But Dee Dee turned that into this big, horrible thing that Oh, now she can't do anything. Her her knee's messed up. It's not just a scratch. Like, she's really damaged her knee. She's got all these issues. And now she can't even walk on it. And in order to fix it, it's going to take a couple of surgeries to fix it. So, because surgeries were expensive, she forces Gypsy into this wheelchair and tells her... You know, you can't, you can't get up and walk on it. You can't do all these things because your, your leg is messed up. and We can't afford all these surgeries. You can't walk anymore. The doctors say, this is an issue. You can't do this anymore. Fucking ridiculous. Like, who wants their child to go through these horrible things? I mean, there's a difference between, like... When there's a child that unfortunately has to deal with these things, they are born a certain way, like, you know, it's unfortunate. But you don't want these things to happen to your family, to your family member, to your child. You know, you want a healthy, healthy child. Now, they often attended Special Olympics events. And in 2001, at about the age of 10, Dee Dee claimed that Gypsy was actually only eight. And that she was named, um, then she was named the Honorary Queen of the Crewe of Mid-City, which is a child-oriented Mardi, Mardi Gras. Gypsy was pulled out of school um, at the second grade. And it could have possibly, possibly been kindergarten as well um, when... She realized that she could play with her friends. Um, but instead, Dee Dee pulls her out of school and she starts homeschooling her. D due to her supposed 
severe illnesses. Now, she actually learned to read on her own, though, by reading the Harry Potter books. I guess between Dee Dee reading to her and the what the little bit she had learned with, with school or whatnot, um, she actually kind of had taught herself to read with those books. Um, Rod remarried. Um, Dee Dee actually lived with the father and stepmother uh, for quite a while until they actually claimed that they caught her poisoning the stepmother with Roundup. She was putting fucking Roundup in her stepmother's food, leading to ridiculous amounts of unexplained illnesses. Now, during this time, she had actually um, been arrested for writing bad checks and, you know, stealing, you know, um, shoplifting, that kind of stuff, some minor offenses. But when she was confronted, she picks up and leaves, takes Gypsy to Slidell, or Slidell, and then all of a sudden her stepmom gets better. So with her not there, all of a sudden her stepmom gets better. Well, that was their proof that they needed that she was doing these things to them, or to her mom, or stepmom. She was making her sick. So when they moved to Slidell, um, they lived in public housing. They were on public assistance due to all of Gypsy's medical conditions. Um, and the child support that Rod actually offered to her um, throughout her entire life. And he could constantly supported them. Like, he, he always sent when they needed stuff. Um, always stayed in her life. Like, she would stay with him from time to time. Like, they would, you know, while she was young... Um, he was very active in her life. Tulane Medical and the Children's Hospital in New Orleans were definitely frequented often, um, and they were constantly seeking treatment for all sorts of different illnesses, which now actually at this point had escalated to hearing and vision, vision problems. There were muscle biopsies done to rule out muscular dystrophy, um, and Dee Dee swore that that was her issue. She had muscular dystrophy. She couldn't do this. She couldn't do that. Um, it was causing all these issues with her hearing and her vision. Uh, and another reason why she couldn't walk. And she told doctors about multiple conditions. She secured meds and treatments for these multiple conditions. Including anti-seizure medications. Um, claiming that she had had seizures over a multitude of months that she would have them every so often. Um, there were exploratory surgeries done. A feeding tube was placed because they said that she had had trouble swallowing. Um, they were, you know, actually forcing her to use dilators down her throat to help her with the swallowing issue that they said she had that she didn't actually have. So when she would say, no, these dilators aren't working. It doesn't matter how much I shove them down her throat. Like it's not working. So they're like, okay, well, the only thing that we can do to make sure that she's getting enough sustenance is give her a feeding tube. So you have to give her this, you know, and do this multitudes of times during the day. She also had multiple surgeries on her eye muscles because as, the, as she was saying that there were issues with her, um, her vision and saying that her eyes were drooping and drifting and, and that with this supposed muscular dystrophy, that there were issues with her eye muscles. So they would go in and reinforce these eye muscles. 
Then she'd say, no, they're still drifting. They'd make her go in again and have another surgery on her eyes. Then Katrina hits. Hurricane Katrina hits in 2005, in August of 2005. Their home is in ruins. Um, they are left with pretty much nothing. And they are giving an apartment for shelter in Covington that's for individuals with special needs. Because obviously, you know, those people were kind of put higher up on the list on finding homes for because they needed their treatments. They needed, um, you know, a little bit more than, you know, Joe Schmo down the street. That they needed to take care of those <coughs> who had considerable disabilities. So Claudine claimed at that point that all records, everything, all medical records, including her birth certificate, everything were destroyed in flooding. A doctor, doctor there actually recommended them to go to Missouri. And a month later, they were airlifted there where they rented a home in Aurora. And I'm sorry, I have I have a little bit of an issue with this loss of records because in the early 2000s, we had ways to back things up in case there was a natural disaster. It's not like all this stuff being computerized was brand new at that point. I mean, yes, there may have been some areas where everything might have still been on paper, but at that point, most things were at least being transcribed and put into some sort of electronic file. There were backup files, not to mention hospitals, large places like that are going to keep those things in a safer area. The hospitals and a lot of those larger places were not damaged as badly, it seems, as like the homes in the area because they're larger. They're meant to stand up to natural disasters. They're meant to be like the safe haven so that you can go there, you know, in case of some emergencies. So that bothers me a bit. <laughs> um, now... In Aurora, Missouri, she's actually honored by the Olay Foundation. The Olay Foundation actually advocates for the rights of feeding tube recipients. And she was their 2007 Child of the Year. In 2008, they received a home from Habitat for Humanity in Springfield. Now, this is the little house that you see, the little pink house that you see all over the place um, when you research um, Gypsy Rose and, and everything that happened. Um, they received tons of media attention, um, including a story about fleeing Katrina and all of Gypsy Rose's illnesses, and received a ton of charitable donations, um, like lots of money, lots of gifts, cards, letters from people that included money, checks, um, anything that they could do to help out. Like you think of the poor people who, 
you know what? I want to help her. I want to help her, but I've only got literally $2 to my name. I'm going to give her $2. And they were sending these last few bucks they had to try and help a girl in need that didn't really need the help. And Dee Dee was taking that money and not thinking damn twice about it. There were all sorts of stays that they had at the Ronald McDonald houses, free flights to see doctors in Kansas City, free trips to Walt Disney World, which there were quite a few, backstage passes and trips to see Miranda Lambert, um, all via Make-A-Wish Foundation, and more. There, I mean, there were so many more things. Like, she, they were given stuff all the time. They were, you know, constantly given money. They were constantly getting donations of, of all sorts of stuff. Not to mention receiving, you know, the Hab Habitat for Humanity House. Sorry, I get off on a little bit of a tangent when I get pissed off. <laughs> but they get this ha Habitat for Humanity House. They're on government assistance. They don't have to pay rent. They don't have to pay any of their bills. Everything's taken care of through different types of assistance. But Dee Dee thinks that that is all okay because her daughter has all these illnesses. So therefore she's entitled to all of these things. Now, when everybody would start asking, like, about Rod and, you know, what was going on with him and why isn't her dad in the picture? And Dee Dee made him out to be a deadbeat, made him out to be a drug addict, an alcoholic, um, abusive, you know, and that he had nothing to do with her because he had never come to grips with everything that had happened with her. And he couldn't deal with his child being disabled. Well, as we know from the first part of the story, he was active. He was sending child support payments. Now, at this point, Rod was actually sending her monthly child support payments of $1,200 or more. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know what kind of job he was doing to be able to afford this. Because, I mean, some people don't make that a month on their own. Like in a month <laughs> to pay bills. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, he would also send her gifts. He'd talk to her on the phone. Like he was there. <clears throat> he may not have physically been there because they were constantly moving. And anytime he'd try to make a plan to, to visit or something, she would make an excuse to why he could, couldn't come visit. Well, she's got this surgery. This is coming up. That's coming up. Like you can't come for this. She always told all her friends and everybody that she met that he was a deadbeat. He also, they also, you know, she also told everybody that he never sent money and that that's why she was just doing everything on her own. So Rod calls at one point and Gypsy's birthday's there and he wants to wish her, wish her a happy birthday. He's going to make a big deal out of it. You know, happy 18th. Like, now you're an adult. Like, now you can do all these things. Well, Dee Dee stops him and says, you can't tell her that she's 18. Her, her mind is declining. Like, she, her, you know, mind isn't there. She thinks she's only 14. You can't tell her that. She'll get really confused. And then I'm going to have to fight with trying to explain things to her. And it's easier right now to just let her think she is what she is. And so we can go on and just, you know, live peacefully. 
So here Rod is freaking out, thinking, oh my God, my child has even more issues now. Like she is mentally declining. She's confused. You know, what is my child going through? So he agrees. He's like, all right, fine. I won't say anything. Um, and when he talks to her, like, here he is thinking, you know, God, she really only thinks she's 14. Like, I mean, can you imagine what went through his poor head at that time? You know, is it my fault? You know, is it, why are all these horrible things happening to my daughter? So, when people were meeting Gypsy, they were absolutely charmed by her. They absolutely loved her. They absolutely thought she was just one of the most special girls they've ever met. She was only five foot tall, nearly toothless. She had large, like, Coke bottle glasses, real thick glasses. A high voice, which gave everyone the, the reinforcement that the stories were true, that she was younger. Um, she was often seen in hats or wigs. And <sighs> Gypsy had no issue growing hair, okay? But there was apparently <clears throat> a leukemia diagnosis at some point. So, Dee Dee had to uphold this ruse that she had leukemia and her hair was falling out. So, she constantly would shave Gypsy's head, telling her, well, you know, your hair's going to fall out because of all this medication and all the, the, all the um, chemo anyway. So, I'm just going to go ahead and stay ahead of it and I'm going to go ahead and, and shave your head. You know, so then that way you don't have to worry about feeling all the hair fall out. You don't have to worry. So she's telling Gypsy all these things. She's telling Gypsy that she has these ailments, that she has allergies to sugar, that she can't have like soda or sweets or, you know, and, and keep in mind, she's not even supposed to be swallowing anything. Like she's telling her all these awful, horrible things and shoving fucking pills down her throat and shoving damn you know, medications into her system. Any outings that they went on, like to the mall, to the store, to the park, anywhere they went, she was always, you know, always had her oxygen tank, always, always had her feeding tube, and always had things, these things visible. It's not like, you know, everything was just stuck on the back of the chair. Like, no, no, no. Everything was visible because she wanted to make sure that everybody who saw her knew that she was disabled and that she was pathetic and needed all her all this help. Gypsy's diet up until her 20s was almost entirely pediasure. Children's pediasure. I'm sorry. That's like somebody trying to live off of two slim fasts a day. You know, it's a meal replacement. Um, and if you know anything about, you know, people who really need feeding tubes and stuff, they have this, this stuff. Um, it's kind of like the consistency of like a milkshake. And 
but it's got a lot more stuff in it than just what a children's Pedia shirt would have. So she might have been getting vitamins and things and these Pedia shirts, but that's why the kid was probably no more than 80 pounds. I mean, she was tiny at only five foot tall and skinny as all get out because there was no real nutrition that she was getting on a daily basis. She was little. Now, I will say, though, is that Gypsy started to get to the point where she was a little bit smart about it. She was starting to realize that things weren't quite right. Um, and I'll get into a little bit more of that in a bit. But she started sneaking food. There, like, towards the end of everything, she would start sneaking food. Now, Dee Dee controlled Gypsy through more than just telling her all of this. It was physical abuse. It was mental abuse. Anything she could use to control her daughter. Now, she was often seen, like, whenever she was questioned or talked to by anyone else, holding her hand. Like, they were holding hands constantly. And any response that wasn't in Dee Dee's interest would warrant a little bit of a squeeze. So kind of like a warning, like, yeah, you better watch what you say, because if it looks bad on me, people realize that you're not sick, you're going to get it in the end. When alone, she would hit her, whether it be open-handed, or she would go all mommy dearest and use a fucking coat hanger on her. So here goes a little bit of the medical abuse. On top of everything else that she's been going through, here's a couple of other things that she put Gypsy through. Gypsy's salivary glands were actually removed. They had, she had complained that there was, she had some issue with, with her salivary glands and that that might have been part of the problem that she was having issues swallowing. So they went in and had um, Botox injected into her, um, into her salivary glands. It was either, it was either they were too dry or she had over excess saliva produced. So they used the Botox to counteract whatever was going on. Um, and they actually, you know, and it says here too that they uh, wanted to control the drooling because um, there was some sort of issue because of a topical anesthetic that was being used. So instead, they just go, you know what, let's just take out her fucking salivary glands. It's the only thing that we're going to do to be able to fix this because she's constantly having these issues. It's either one way or the other. Like, there's no middle ground. She's not got normal salivary, you know, production. When in reality, everything was just fine. And in reality, she was shoving this damn topical anesthetic on her, making her drool. Now this plus the anti-seizure medications that she was taking actually caused her teeth to literally rot out of her mouth. So as they continued to get worse and get worse, like she'd go and go to either brush her teeth or go to, you know, do something. And a fucking tooth would fall out of her head. Or they'd break or they'd crack or, you know, and just be really uncomfortable. So what does Dee Dee do? 
let's just go get them all pulled out. And then we'll give you a bridge. You don't have to worry about it anymore. There were also tubes implanted in her ears. Constantly saying she had ear infections. So now let's get, let's get tubes put in her ears. And this all happened, the tubes and the teeth extracted and everything happened right before she was supposed to get some sort of award. And this award was actually filmed. You can actually see documentation like and, and, and video of this award where she and her mother actually sing together on stage. Um, this is actually portrayed in one of the television shows that was about her. And it's just, it's alarming because it's like Gypsy did something wrong. So, or didn't answer something right. So she's like, I'm going to punish you to where you look even worse right before you're supposed to go on stage. Right before. But then at the last minute, she's like, okay, here's your bridge. Here's everything you need. Here's your wig. Like, here, now you're going to look cute. I'm going to make you look cute right at the last fucking minute. But you damn worried up until, up until the, the fact. Now, it was quite often that we also saw Gypsy Rose in princess gear. Whether it be Ariel, whether it be Rapunzel, whether it be Cinderella, she was always done up in Disney princess gear and would go to character conventions, kind of like Comic-Con. But I don't know if they actually ever went to, like, the actual Comic-Con or if it was just all of the little ones. Um, because I don't know that Dee Dee necessarily wanted <coughs> her to have that much, um, like, she wanted her, her to have a lot of attention, but I don't think she wanted her to be in that big of a crowd, so, I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% sure there. Um, if anybody knows, let me know. I'll put in a, a, an extra clip at the end of this. Um, now, so they go into the doctor. They're constantly going into the doctor. And she finally goes and she sees this pediatric uh, neurologist. His name is Bernardo Flasterstein. And he is very suspicious about this muscular dystrophy diagnosis. So, he has MRIs done. He has blood tests done. And everything comes back normal. You know, he didn't want to do a muscle biopsy knowing that she had had one in the past. Because apparently these are very, very painful. Um, kind of like, you know, you hear about people getting bone marrow transplants and bone marrow extracted for those. And how it's very, very painful. Apparently this, this mus muscle biopsy is the same way. It's very, very painful. So, he realizes everything on, on, on this end is coming back normal. And he notes, actually, in the charts, Mother is not a good historian. Now, when you see that on a chart, it means Mom's either making some shit up or she just doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. She's not the one I need to listen to here. I need to talk to the other doctors. I need the other records. Now, she'd carry around this big-ass damn binder with these supposed records in there and that was everything that she had 
this is everything. This is everything. This is these are the only copies because everything else was destroyed because of Katrina and everything that I get, like I I have copies of, so that just in case, you know, I can hand it over to a new doctor so that they don't have to wind up, you know, waiting on on stuff. So she looks like this really great, caring, doting mom that is just trying to stay ahead of things. So Dr. Flasterstein actually has Gypsy stand up and says, you know, I just want to see how strong you are, how much weight you can hold. Like, you know, I just, I just want to see. Well, apparently he's done this when mom was either out of the room or, um, you know, while mom's signing paperwork or something so that he can kind of see a little bit more without mom's interference. She stands up. She supports all her weight. So when he talks to mom, he says, Dee Dee, there's no reason at all what, whatsoever why she can't walk. You know, she had, she doesn't have shit tons of atrophy in her legs. And if you don't know what atrophy is, it's actually the breakdown of your, of your muscles. So when you have somebody who's had a broken leg or a broken arm and you see like the arm that they use every day that that's not broken and it's normal. When you get that cast taken off, you're going to see atrophy. You're going to see that that arm or leg or whatever is a lot smaller than the other because they haven't been able to use it for X amount of weeks. So that muscle has actually broken down a bit and, and lost its, its, um, girth. Like it's lost, it's lost its, its strength to an extent. You have to build that back up afterwards. So he's saying, you know, I'm noticing that she doesn't have as much atrophy as she should have if she is literally wheelchair bound. So he contacts New Orleans. He contacts the doctor from New Orleans who agrees, no, the muscle biopsy we did X amount of years ago was negative. This child does not have muscular dystrophy. And my records show that... She's older than what they're telling you. <clears throat> she shouldn't be seeing a pediatric doctor anymore. Like, she's grown. He had then decided, you know what? I really think mom's dealing with Munchausen syndrome by proxy. You know, she's fine. There's no issues with mom. It's all about Gypsy. But mom is claiming all this stuff. So I think she's got Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The bad thing is here that he does not report her to social services. Because they were so babied and so well known in the community. That he didn't think that anyone was going to believe his ass. Because... There were so many different avenues that they had gone through. She was, she had so many different doctors. How is this one doctor going to make everybody believe him? So he was like, you know, yeah, I have my suspicions. I'll talk to a few people, but um, I'm not reporting her yet because I don't have enough evidence from other doctors to be able to do this. <clears throat> now, with that being said... They did receive in 2009 an anonymous call reporting Dee Dee saying that she's using different names. There's three or four different names she's going by. Um, different birth dates for herself and for Gypsy. And suggesting Gypsy is actually in better health than she claims to be. 
or that Didi claimed her to be. All this is explained away in a way that Didi actually just continues to defame Rod and continue to say awful things about him. So she's like, well, I didn't want him to find us because he was so abusive and so awful and so horrible. I don't want him to be able to find us. Um, I don't want him to be part of her life. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. So she continually just kept talking down about him and saying that he was so awful and that, you know, I just, I have to change things just a little bit just so he won't find me. And then every time that I, you know, get comfortable enough, we have to move and go somewhere else. I don't want to have to move again. So that's why I'm using different names. So initially everybody's like, okay, all right, we understand that. You know, and they're like, well, let's go ahead and check in with Gypsy. I do need to talk to her for a few minutes, um, you know, and just make sure that everything's kosher. You know, so when they come in and they actually go to talk to Gypsy, she is, in their opinion, obviously mentally handicapped. But this was most likely because mom shoved a bunch of pills down her throat at the last second. And here all that stuff is starting to kick in by the time that they go and talk to her. So she's out of it. She's loopy. You know, it's kind of like when you see these kids on YouTube and everything where... They're on different kind of anesthetics and they're, you know, you've got their little redheaded kid saying he's in Dubai with his bitches, yo, you know, <laughs> or, or the girl that's upset because she can't smoke pot, you know, and they talk about random things that aren't necessarily part of the conversation. So it's a little bit, you know, yeah, it's humorous in those aspects, but when it comes to this, it's messed her up enough. It's messed up Gypsy to where she cannot carry on a regular conversation. Now, her birth certificates ranged anywhere from about 1991 to 1995. And Gypsy actually stated that for about 15 years, she was really unsure of how old she really was. She really didn't know. So she's being told for X amount of years at this doctor's office and this doctor's office, you're only this old, you're only this old. She'll go to this one. Oh, well, no, you're old enough for this. But now as she, as she got older and older, she would realize, you know, it's my birthday. Well, all this last year, we did 14 last year. Now you're saying I'm 14 again? Like, no, that's, she's starting to finally question her mother. So when she questions her mom, her mom says, no, it was a misprint, you know, they, and everything's right in all your paperwork. It's just on your birth certificate. It's incorrect. It's not how it works. You can't misprint a document like that because if you do, you have to go through a huge avenues and hurdles to make sure things are fixed. So in 2001, we find out that that's when she started going to these conventions. And at one of these conventions in about 2011, she tried to escape with a man that she had met online. Now, it's unsure, it, I'm unsure um, on whether or not this man she truly met online or if she met him there at the convention. You'll see um, via different 
excuse me, different documentaries and different different shows. Of course, the shows, people take artistic license to kind of make sure that the, the storyline kind of is going to keep your interest. So there's a possibility that it was just that she met him online initially, and then he met up at the at the convention, and then they ran off to a hotel room. In the show, The Act, with, um, I believe it's Patricia, Patricia, Patricia Arquette, um, I think that's her name. Um, you see that she just meets the guy there, they become friends, and then one day she just takes off with him. Um, but that, again, showing artistic license. So they're saying that she went off and went, went to a hotel room, um, and... Didi found out. So Didi shows up at this hotel room and she's threatening him and she's saying like, dude, like she's underage. She's under 18. Like she's only like 14, 15. You're going to go to jail for um, statutory rape if you've touched her. Like you can't be with her. And she scares the guy away. Like he runs off. He's like, hell no, I don't want any part of this. Like this is some fucking crazy ass shit. Like fuck them both. I don't want anything to do with them. Now Didi retaliates to Gypsy by actually smashing her computer with a hammer and would even go as far as threatening to smash her fingers if she tried it again. For a while there, she even went as far as handcuffing and tying Gypsy to the bed. For weeks at night, she would do that. Or during the day, like if she had to go run and do something and, and Gypsy was left at home, Gypsy was tied to that fucking bed or handcuffed to the bed to where she couldn't get into anything. She also even went as far as filing for, um, filing paperwork for uh, incompetency. But you have to prove, like other people get involved. That that person can, you know, talk to the lawyer, and if the lawyer states, yeah, it just doesn't really look good, you know, they can set, send a letter to um, the judge stating, like, look, I've talked to them, you know, and it doesn't seem like they really know what's going on, or yes, they do have some capacity, but maybe not all of it, or they're going to get a guardian at litem involved that can come and speak to the individual and find out for sure whether or not they are competent or not. I know these things because we've had to do this, um, you know, for my, my father-in-law and, you know, I'll get into the issues with him on, on another date because there is a, a close case that is really interesting that is going to involve him. Um, and that will be probably a few weeks before I actually get into that one. But competency is not, I mean, it's still an ordeal. It still takes a couple of months for everything to go through perfectly. Like you have to go file the paperwork for it. Then you have to wait on the, on a court date to make sure that this is going to happen. And then you go through like a, a temporary phase to make sure until they, you can set a real date to talk about everything and make sure everything's been discussed and, and investigated. And it takes time. So it's definitely like, an ordeal. Now, unfortunately, that lawyer that she talked to is like, all right, I'm just going to ask her a couple questions to kind of get this started and find out like how competent she is. Well, at this point, Gypsy's already starting to realize that her mom's fucking her over. Like her mom's fucked this up in some way, shape or form. Like 
it's it's ridiculous so she answers and she answers honestly can you sign your name yes i can sign my name you know sometimes it can be hard but i but yes i can sign my name you know then she states or asks her you know can you read she's like yes i can read some things are hard i you know but yes i can read some things okay well there's this i'm going to talk about this what about that do you understand do you understand what this means well, I kind of get the point. And so the lawyer states and she says how, you know, she pretty much knows what's going on here. I think she's competent enough to make her own decisions on whether or not she wants surgery anymore or whether or not she wants to go through these things. You can't force her because now she's at the age and, you know, at this point she's getting like she's supposed to be 17, 18, 18 years old. And you're saying, you're saying that she doesn't know what's good for her, but you want to put her through these things that are painful. She doesn't want to go through it. She doesn't have to fucking go through it. It's up to her at this point. Dee Dee gets pissed. She starts forging paperwork, doing everything she can to try and make sure that she has this competency paper. Now in 2012, she goes as far as actually sneaking mom's computer, taking Dee Dee's computer. And she creates this Christian singles profile and she's on there trying to meet up with guys. When she actually comes up with and meets a young man by the name of Nicholas Godijon. He was around her age and he was from Big Ben, Wisconsin. Now I'll get into him here in a couple of minutes. But... After so long of, you know, sneaking around and sneaking mom's computer, she even went as far as sneaking money from mom. And while they were at the store one day, or at least this is one version I've seen, um, and there have been, this was on the TV show, that, that, that show, The Act, that she went and purchased another one and hid it from her mom, hid a, a laptop from her mother. Now... <clears throat> there have been other venues and other places where I've done research where they have confirmed that, but I've only seen it in a couple of places. So I don't know if it's just people kind of going along with that or if it was true that she actually did that or if it was off of her mom's computer. So with that being said, on to Nicholas Godijon. Nicholas Godijon had a bit of a history himself um, had a few problems of his own. So I think this is why they, they kind of connected so quickly and, and on such a level. Um, he actually had a criminal record for indecent exposure, but a history of mental illness as well. So either it's a dissociative identity disorder or he has autism. Like it's not very clear at that point, but he does have some issues. Um, she actually, Gypsy actually went as far to tell this neighbor friend who would come over and actually entertained a friendship with her because, you know, well, she was the sickly kid and she wanted to be nice and she wanted to, you know, befriend her and they did and they became friends and she would, you know, Gypsy would kind of live vicariously through this girl and her dating and everything and she'd come and tell Gypsy all these stories of, you know, this guy and that guy and, you know, 
going out with her friends and, and everything. And that's all Gypsy wanted. She wanted to be a normal girl of that age, just like this friend of hers was. So she tells this friend of hers about Nicholas and says, you know, we want to elope. We want to get married. We want to have children. Like, um, we've talked about kids. We know the names for our kids. Like, like we love each other and, and we want to have a life together. Well, you know, this friend doesn't really think a lot of it at first because she's like, oh, well, that's, it's just this little puppy love, you know, thing, you know, it might change when she actually meets the guy, you know, whatever. Later on, as we go through, we finally realize that some of the exchanges between them were <laughs> quite colorful um, in multiple ways. Not only did they share quite a few pictures and videos and, and things back and forth, um, they would essentially sext each other. They would, um, you know, have different exchanges through the, the webcam, um, where Gypsy would dress up and be one character. He would be a certain character. Um, they were very BDSM in nature. Um, some of the things got a little carried away from time to time. And I've only seen a few <coughs> of the things, of the little samples of these things that were going on, um, in some places. Like, and it's shocking when you see this girl and expect her to only be revolving around Disney princesses and supposed to be 14 or younger. Um, and that she's supposed to have the mind of like a seven or eight year old child. And then you see her pretty much telling him detail to detail what she wants him to do to her. Like it's, it's a shock to the system when you start and you think that this girl is this young naive, disabled girl. Now, Gypsy and, and Nick actually go as far as setting up a accidental meeting with Dee Dee. They decide after about a year of, of talking and being in this relationship that Gypsy's ready for him to meet her mom. Like, Go to John actually comes to Springfield to meet her. But the plan is, you know, we're going to go see Cinderella because it's the live action had just come out. I'm going to go see Cinderella. We're going to come watch it. Like, there's almost nobody there. Like, um, it's like a pre-screening early in the day, something like that, to where not a ton of people are there and they can kind of enjoy themselves. So she's like, so you're going to show up and we're just going to bump into each other and pretend that, you know, this is all brand new. Or that we've met and, oh my God, how are you? Like... I met you somewhere else. And they're going to play up this this mess. Well, apparently, Dee Dee didn't seem to really be in the mood for it. So they kind of brushed it off and they were like, okay, maybe not right now. Maybe when we go to leave. Like, maybe, whatever. But give me a few minutes. I'll let you know. Like, I'll, I'll signal to you. Meet me in the bathroom. So she, you know, tells her mom, like, mom, I've got to go to the bathroom. Like, I, I can do this on my own. She wheels herself out of the, out of the theater and to the bathroom. He comes with her. 
She locks the fucking bathroom door and literally fucks him in the bathroom. Like, she's obviously, you know, she stands up out of her wheelchair. Everything's totally okay. Like, she gets up and they do their thing. She goes back to the theater, acts like nothing was wrong. Sorry, I was having issues with my dress. I was having issues with, you know, whatever. Um, sorry, it took so long. So they continue this relationship online. And it's not shortly after that they decide they're going to start this plot to murder Dee Dee. Because she's gotten so awful and horrible that any even mention of talking to anybody or anything and then she's she's flipping out on gypsy so this murder plot has thickened um and gypsy actually supplies the duct tape the gloves and the knife go to john returns to springfield after a hiatus and comes into the home after Dee Dee is sleeping because they've already talked about what her um routines are how everything works now Dee Dee takes sleeping medication to go to sleep at night so it was very easy for her to go in or for them to go in and Nicholas goes in while Gypsy's out of the room so it makes it look like she's innocent to everything and he stabs Dee Dee to death then he goes to Gypsy's room they have sex um, you know, they took all the cash that Dee Dee had saved up in a, in a bag or a box somewhere that she was saving from all these cards and gifts and, and checks and child support checks and all this stuff. And, sh and they have about four grand and they flee to a local motel. They stay there for a couple of days. And there are actually videos of them that they've taken on phones of each other. And they're joking around and laughing and talking about eating brownies and then he's going to eat her. And then they're giggling and laughing with her little prepubescent voice. And I mean, there's no remorse for everything. She's finally fucking free of this beast of a mother of hers. She's happy. And they're both in this bliss of being together. Well, then they've got to worry about evidence. They've got to worry about the knife. Well, where the hell are we going to dispose of this knife at? So, not thinking very well, and I guess not understanding so much about um, what's going on in the world with DNA and evidence and, and video and everything that's going on. Go to John decides, I'm going to mail the knife to myself. I made a big bend and then I'll dispose of it there. Like we'll figure out where the hell it's supposed to go when we get there. But as of right now, I don't want to be caught with it on my person. So he mails it to himself to big bend. They also try to avoid being caught by taking a bus instead of trying to fly or anything else. They take a bus. Um, and I don't think Gypsy really understood much about him. Like, they had this fairy tale romance, but he lived in, like, his parents' attic, like, in an attic room or something. Like, it wasn't his own place. 
Um, you know, he barely worked and if he worked, it was like he would deliver pizzas or something like that. Like he, I mean, it was just little odd jobs here and there. Like it wasn't the fairy tale she thought it was going to be when they show up, you know? So she's like, all right, so I'm going to kind of start a life here. We're going to start a life. We're going to figure this out. We're going to make it happen. Now surveillance cameras caught them um, on their journey, showing her walking unassisted. And this is after everyone was alarmed to Dee Dee. They realized that, you know, doesn't, I haven't seen them. Haven't seen them in a day or so. Haven't seen the car move. Like, looks like they haven't been anywhere. Maybe Dee Dee's not feeling well. Maybe Gypsy's not well. Maybe something's going on. But we haven't seen her in a couple days. They also see a very concerning Facebook status on Dee Dee's account saying, that bitch is dead. Something along those lines. I don't have the exact quotes because, but you should be able to go look at them. Like, I think her account is still active. Last I saw it was still up and active. Um, and if not, um, because this has been, I've, this is one of those cases I've been kind of following for a long time. And if it's not up and active, there's absolutely screenshots you can find just Googling the case. And then shortly after, there's even responses to that saying, and I fucked her sweet little daughter too. Like, it's it's screwed up to say, to say these things and kind of make it seem like, and this is from her account, as if Dee Dee posted it. So, who had her password? Who had the ability to get in there? So, at this point, it has alarmed family members, or like, not family, but, but friends and people in the area, and they decide, you know what, we need to do a well check. We need to go check on her. Something's not right. So, noticing her car was still in the driveway, no answers when they tried to call, no answers when they'd knock on the door, um, the friends, you know, tried to get in and I'm not exactly a hundred percent sure because you see it different ways in different documentaries. First that they had the cops come, the cops broke in to found and found Dee Dee. Um, others that, you know, friends from the, the local area broke in to, to check on her cause they couldn't wait on the cops. Um, and that, you know, somebody found her. So regardless, her body was found face down in her bed, stabbed multiple times in her back. Um, all of them, like all the friends, all the cops, everybody worried for Gypsy because they were like, both of her wheelchairs are here. Like, she should be here. Both of her wheelchairs are here. She's not here. All her medication's still here. So where the hell is she? What's happened to her? Somebody's got her. Somebody's kidnapped her. Maybe they're trying to, you know, get money out of her. Maybe they're trying to hurt her. So here they are worried about all that. Then they start asking, well, was there anybody new in their life? Was there anybody? So this friend says, you know, I've seen printouts of her relationship with this Nicholas Godijan kid. And maybe talk to him. See if he's heard anything from her. Like, see what you can figure out. So as they do that, and as they're, like, trying to research this kid and find out who the hell he is, 
they realized that the messages from the Facebook account match his IP address. So they immediately go to Big Bend and they arrest Nicholas Godijohn and find out that Gypsy's there. So they arrest them both. They talk to them like they're extradited. They're held on a million dollars bond. Um, and the sheriff decides to go on record and say, things are not always as they appear. The truth was then at that point revealed. Um, while first degree murder, um, the charge of first degree murder actually carries the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, prosecutor Dan Patterson uh, actually announced that they were not seeking this in this case because it was an extraordinary case. The, the details of this case were very unusual. So they're not necessarily wanting um, to go for first degree murder on this. They receive a plea bargain for second degree murder due to, um, you know, seeing all the medical records and everything that Gypsy had, had gone through and seeing that she had kind of been pushed to this. She was so undernourished that this short time before the trial, she had gained 14 pounds and accepted the 10 years in prison. Go to John faced more severe punishment as he actually initiated the plot and he did actually kill Dee Dee. He was the one that actually physically stabbed her. So his January trial was postponed due to a request of the second of a second psychotic exam or excuse me, psychiatric exam. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself there for a minute. <clears throat> now, as as the psychologists go and they actually talk to him and do their evaluations, they realize his IQ is that of only an 82. Now, anybody who who understands an IQ and I've done a tiny bit of research with that as well. A normal IQ can range anywhere from about, I think it's 95 to 115, um, somewhere in there. Anything above like a 140 is genius or supposed to be genius. And anything under like a 90 is considered sort of that there's some sort of learning disability or something present, whether it be, um, you know, very low on the, the autism scale or, or something like that. Something, there is some kind of disconnect, some kind of something missing there. So that's how they kind of look at it. Um, so he's at an 82. So showing um, during their, their, all of their tests that he's somewhere on that autism spectrum. He is, absolutely has issues there. He, they also suggest that, you know, with this, he has a diminished capacity to understand or to process some of this information. <coughs> now, initially, he waived the right to jury, but then changed his mind in June of 2017. Now, December of 2017, they actually set trial for November of 18, of 2018, 
with the opening statements showing that they allege um, deliberate or like deliberation for a year prior to the crime, and that they had they had come up with this plan that this was not something that you know was just a day or two before like I'm gonna do this I'm done like no this was something they had been talking about for a year. Like, the only way we're going to get out of here, or get you out of here, is if she's dead. Like, that's the only way that, that you're going to get free of all this and actually be able to be a woman of 18. And be able to do the things that you want to in your life without her over your shoulder. So, that is what they decided to look at. Like, um, his lawyers point to his mental health. And even Gypsy's mental health at that point. Stating that, you know, yes, they formulated the crime, but, you know... He has these mental issues, and she has endured this mental abuse. Now, after viewing messages between the two, the sexually explicit um, messages that actually were different personas that they had for each other, the details of Dee Dee's habits were actually discuss discussed for a long time. Like, she's going to bed, it's this time. Now we know that she goes to bed at this time. Regardless, she's always asleep by this time. She takes this to go to bed. Maybe if we, I can convince her to take an extra one. Or if, you know, whatever. Now we do know, also, that shortly before all of this happens... Dee Dee is diagnosed diabetic. She is starting to have insulin issues um, and pushing some of the help on Gypsy to have to care for her a little bit. So they're caring for each other a little bit more and she's like, great. Now she's doing all this to me and now I'm going to have to fucking take care of her after she has done all this to me and made me seem like I can't do shit for myself and now I've got to take care of her. What the fuck? So they go through a lot of this and they go through all this evidence and all these, these discussions back and forth because all that stuff was banked up in a history and hard drive. So then they video, there's video of an interview with Nicholas. And he even expresses the fact that they had hoped for Gypsy to get pregnant on that first on that first visit, like in the bathroom. Like they were hoping that she was going to wind up pregnant or that one of the times he comes down and visits that they're going to get five minutes and he's going to knock her up because then maybe she'd allow this relationship to continue and to happen. <clears throat> now, after four days... It was sent to jury after two hours. Um, they were guilt, or he was guilty of first degree murder and armed criminal action. February of 2019, he was sentenced to life for murder, um, a life for murder conviction, and he asked for leniency for the armed criminal action, um, which that charge actually has a minimum sentence of only three years, saying that he had fallen blindly in love. He received 25 years on that charge instead, concurrent with his life sentence. So he's not ever going to get out. Now, that he was denied for new trial on a grounds of psychology testimony, saying that the psychologists were like, you know, yes, he may have diminished capacity. Yes, he may be on the autis autism spectrum, but he knew what he was doing, and he knew he murdered her, and he knew it was wrong. 
So he understood enough where he belongs where he is. Everyone was blown away by the truth on this. Rod actually cried when he saw Gypsy walking in video. Like, when it came across the news and he sees her walk from containment to the in front of the judge. Like, he's in tears because his baby girl, who hasn't walked in years, is walking. So, all the family, after finding out the truth and after finding out what really happened, believed... That Dee Dee deserved what she got. She deserved her fate. Her own parents even flushed her fucking ashes down the damn toilet because they didn't want anything to do with her. She was a piece of shit in their eyes. I mean, I've seen relationships like that between like parents and kids where things have not been good. But there's a point where you're like, well, regardless, it's still my kid. Like, they may have been a disappointment in all this aspect, but I still didn't want them dead. But when it came to them and all the things that they did, like, and all the things that she did, I mean, she killed her own mother, allegedly. You know, it's very possible. She poisoned her own stepmother, and then she did all this stuff to her kid. I don't really blame them. I don't really blame them. They fucking flushed her ashes. Now, there is an update on Gypsy. Um... There was an interview in January of 2018 where she says, flat out, quote, I feel like I'm more free in prison than living with my mom. Because now I'm allowed to just live like a normal woman. Serving out um, her sentence in Missouri's uh, Chillicothe Correctional Facility, or correctional center, she says, I think she had been, she would have been the perfect mom to someone who actually was sick. But obviously, you know, Gypsy wasn't. Now, she told BuzzFeed that um, she believed Dee Dee's claims of cancer, even though she knew that she could walk, and eat solid foods. She just always hoped for someone to finally see through it all and see the truth. <clears throat> the family states that she sometimes also exhibits some of the same sociopathic manipulative disorders or behaviors as the mother, saying that, you know, quote, she is already psychologically really compromised and she is going... Um, she, she is going to need some very much needed um, help and understanding and um, support as she goes through, like, therapies and, and everything. She's going to need it. And she's absolutely got um, PTSD and, and multitudes of other, uh, other issues. Um, Flasterstein, who was the pediatric neuro, neuro, or, excuse me, neurologist, said... Poor Gypsy suffered all these years and for no reason. And he did what he thought he could and he wishes that he would have turned them in sooner. That maybe this wouldn't have happened. That, you know, Dee Dee would still be alive but Dee Dee would be the one in jail and Gypsy would finally be able to be out and living a, a decent life. 
Now, some of the shows um, that you will see this on, HBO actually had a documentary called Mommy Dead and Dearest. Um, we've all seen The Mother's Knows, Knows Best on Dr. Phil um, talking about a story of Munchausen by proxy and murder. Um, ABC's Good Morning America did The Mother of All Murders talking about this case. Um, James Patterson's Murder is Forever Episode 2, Season 1, Mother of All Murders, uh, on the ID network. There's also Gypsy's Revenge. Um, Lifetime did one, I Love You to Death. Hulu's The Act, which is the one I've talked about just a little bit. And then Netflix, there's supposed to be um, a character that's very similar to her on The Politician. And it's supposed to be in with the Jackson family. I haven't watched that, so I'm not really sure... Um, you know, what the similar similarities are with that specifically. However, you know, there's a lot on her. Um, and personally, I don't feel like Gypsy belongs in jail. I mean, it has benefited her being there. Um, I think, honestly, through this time, she's probably gotten some of the psychological help that she's needed. Although she will need psychological help for many, many years to help her through all this. Um, last I heard, she had, there was a fiancé, a boyfriend, or that she had had a girlfriend in there or something. I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, however, you know, she got 10 years. She's eligible, like, to get out in 2024. We've only got a few years till then. I feel like, personally, her ass should be out already. Give her a chance. Let her go live with her dad and her stepmom for a while. Let her see what a real family is like. Let her see what real love is. Um, and give her a shot. Give her a shot at life. She had no chance before this. Give her the opportunity to get out in the open with real people and learn what real people are like. I would love, if given the chance, I would love to actually sit down with her and have a conversation with her. I have been toying with the idea of writing some of these people and seeing if I get a response back. After the um, Michigan murders and knowing that John Norman Collins has written back to some of the people who have written to him, I think I might write to him. I've, I've been thinking about writing to Gypsy. I've been thinking about writing to quite a few people who are on my list, or at least, you know, and if not necessarily these people, see if I can get in contact with a family member of someone who's either already been executed or anything. Just ask half a dozen quick questions and see if I can get some responses back. What do you guys think about that? Um, if you guys will respond to that, let me know what you guys think. Send me notes on, um, you know, Facebook or you can email me or whatever and tell me what you think. Should I write these people? And if so, Give me some ideas of some questions or some different things. If there's somebody specific you want me to write, give me some questions to ask them. You know, maybe something that, that obviously we can legally ask. Because there are some things that sometimes we can ask the question all we want, but legally they can't say anything about it. So I'm going to end all that here uh, with Gypsy Rose. Um, and... I kind of want everybody's input on this. Like, do you think that she deserves to be in jail? Should she be there longer? Or should she be out? Because there's a lot of people who have actually said, you know, we need to free Gypsy. She needs to be pardoned. 
So what do you guys think? Why don't you guys let me know? And I'll see you on the next episode. I want to thank you all um, so much for listening every episode. Um, and if you are interested at all in, you know, contacting me or even helping to support uh, the podcast and everything that I'm doing, you can email me at serialzombiemoms at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Serial Zombie Mom Podcast. You can also find me on Facebook with either my Facebook group, Serial Zombie Mom, um, or a page that I'm actually working on. So um, keep in contact with me there. And then if you wouldn't mind by showing a little bit of support, um, and just making sure that this podcast keeps going and, and keeps getting better. Um, the more support that I can receive from you guys, the more likely I can have things like merchandise. I can have um, better equipment for my uh, for the podcast alone. Um, and it's small donations that you guys can give on on anchor.fm and through my my actual podcast um i will actually share the link on the facebook page as well as instagram um in case you are interested in doing like doing any of that or you can send me um an email and i'll be more than happy to share um that link with you there thank you again so much guys